Welcome to the HitchedMag.com podcast. So hey everybody, welcome back. This is Steve Cooper, Editor-in-Chief of HitchedMag.com. And I'm again joined with Dr. Karen Sherman. Hi, Karen. Hi, Steve. So we are going to do one that uh, has gotten a, a fair amount of response already from the article that just went up, and it's on pot smoking. And this article uh, was basically, it, it came about because a wife had submitted a question asking what she should do about her quote-unquote pothead husband. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, back in uh, early in the relationship, uh, they both smoked uh, smoked pot. And then as time went on, she stopped, her husband continued, and now she thinks it's becoming a bit of a problem. Mm -hmm. So, um, I, I, you know, we don't condone the use of illegal drugs, all that stuff. Uh, but this is an issue that I think affects a lot of couples out there. And to get things going here, in the article, you mentioned that you've dealt with the concern of pot um, in your practice. Um, in your experience, is it a big problem in marriage? Well, I'm going to have to say no. Um, I'm doing this 25 years, and through the years, it has been brought up. But in 25 years, I've seen a lot of couples, and um, this is not the main thing that people come in about. Um, but that doesn't mean it's not happening. Uh, so it may be occurring, but it may not be a problem for the couples. In other words, they may feel that they're using it, and they're both using it, and they're doing it as a social activity, and it's not problematic for them. So in other words, it may actually be happening, but they're not seeing it as problematic or something that they feel they have to discuss with me. Okay. Now, when with pot, um, you know, a lot of people have their own opinions about it, and that's fine. But with dealing with pot addiction, is it like dealing with other addictions such as alcohol, gambling, or maybe even harder drugs? I think that that's a really good question, Steve. Um, you know, the truth of the matter is there are hard addictions um, like alcohol, gambling, um, the hard drugs. Um, and then there are soft addictions like workaholism, shopaholism. And the reason something gets labeled as an addiction is because it's out of balance. It's out of whack. There's too much um, emphasis put on it, too much concern about it. Um, and that's pretty much um, when there's a red flag. So, for instance, um, I like to go to a casino. And pretty much um, I, I feel like if I don't get to a casino once a year, um, I haven't gotten my need met. But once a year certainly is not a problem, and I also don't gamble a huge amount of money. If I spend a couple of hundred, I feel like it's a nice entertainment. That's not going to be considered an addiction. But um, I work with one couple where the gentleman um, played poker constantly. He um, read about poker all the time in magazines. He played it a couple of nights with people. He played it online. There was a lot of emphasis on poker. So going back to what your question is, anytime there's an addiction, I see it as um, where the person is, is not wanting to deal with something else. And generally when you're dealing with addictions, or at least what I do is 
I look at the addiction as symptomatic. In other words, that's not really the problem. That's the method that the person is using to not deal with something else that's really bothering them. So, again, if somebody is using pot recreationally and only once in a while without passing judgment here, then I don't know that it's really a problem. But if it is something that is constant, out of balance, with a lot of emphasis, then, uh, yeah, I would treat it exactly the same as the other things that you mentioned. Okay, so as long as they're not uh, using their um, affinity for some particular thing to not deal with other issues, uh, it could be okay. Right. Okay. Right. And, and when you're at the casinos, are you a slots person or you play at the tables? I love blackjack. Blackjack. I love blackjack. <laughs> <laughs> and not that I win. I just have fun playing for the night. Of course. That's, you have to go with that attitude. Yeah. Um, Karen, we'll take a quick break here, um, handle another one of our reader questions. Okay. And then we'll jump back into this conversation. So uh, we'll be right back. Okay, here we are with our new reader response and this is from kelly now i'm sorry i should probably preface this by saying this is in response karen to your work spouse article okay and uh, she says that she disagrees with the article for two reasons uh, the first th that is inappropriate to have a special work relationship with someone of the opposite sex when you're married or committed um, this is how emotional affairs are formed and it is too easy to cross the line in a romantic relationship she then goes on to say, also, I don't feel that this is that it's appropriate to conduct yourself in that way in most work settings. We already have too many cases of sexual harassment when one person's thought of thinks of it as a harmless and the other person is offended. In a few situations, um, it is more acceptable, for example, police officers who need to have a partner. So kind of goes off the tail end there a little bit with the sexual harassment, I think, um, in, in relationship to the original article. But uh, did you want to comment on her response to your article? Well, I want to say that I absolutely understand where Kelly's feelings are coming from. And she's not wrong. Um, in fact, it is in the workplace that a lot of affairs do start. Um, and it is exactly because People are spending a lot of time together, and they start innocently. Um, however, uh, I think I wrote in the article that there really is a purpose for a work spouse, but that it's really important to keep certain boundaries, which is basically to only be talking about work issues and not to be talking about personal issues. Um, it does make it more difficult because you are spending so much more time with this person, probably more time than you are with your actual spouse. But the truth of the matter is that you could be crossing that boundary even with somebody who you're not working with. So that really is the responsibility of each individual person. Um, it's not the venue. It's not, you know, just because you're working with that person. Um, and it's, it's, it doesn't have to do, you know, when she brings up the whole sexual harassment thing, what goes on in the workplace, as far as the work spouse, yeah. is not supposed to be flirtatious, necessarily. You know, I did speak in the article about, yes, there's a little flirting going on, and that makes somebody feel like they want to get up and go to work. But, again, it's supposed to be where you understand 
that it is not supposed to cross that boundary. And whether you do or you don't is one's individual responsibility. It's like, it almost reminds me that I had very strict parents who used to say you must be home at 11 o'clock. Well, I could get into trouble at 10.30 also. You know, <laughs> yeah. the curfew itself didn't really make the difference. But again, Kelly, I absolutely understand your concerns because you are right. This is where a lot of people do get into trouble. Well, thank you for that response, Karen. Okay. <laughs> and we're back, and we are going to get back into the conversation of dealing with pot um, when one spouse may have an addiction to pot and the other spouse um, feels that it's getting in the way of the relationship and they're just not comfortable with it anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you, now, do you have any tips on approaching your spouse about stopping their pot smoking? Well, I, I think that by now, if people have been listening to these podcasts on any kind of regular basis, they're going to guess what my answer is going to be. I think that you always have to approach your partner from a perspective of concern. Um, and the approach has got to be real soft, not attacking. And saying that you feel that it's gotten out of hand, uh, that there's a lot of it going on, and, you know, has the person, um, is the person aware of the fact that there's a lot of smoking going on? So start from that perspective. Uh, again, soft coming from a place of concern. Okay. Now, one of the things that this happens, it's like a running joke with addiction is, you know, the first rule is like they, you're in denial. Um, but mm-hmm. if, if somebody does deny that they have a problem, um, I mean, how do you address that? And I don't know, should you keep a list of how their smoking has affected you or the relationship? I mean, what, what are some of the things they can do? Oh, my God, I've got a visualization in my head right now that the person is coming literally with a list. <laughs> um, and, and I would say absolutely not. You don't want to pull out your list and say, you know, on August 8th you did this, and then on yeah. August 11th you did this, and blah, blah, blah. But I do think that you should be prepared mentally to make a case, although I don't want the approach to be that you're making a case. But I do think you have to have samples of behavior or um, some kind of scenarios in your head which substantiate your concern. Uh, so again, I wouldn't go in with the, the approach of, I've got a list to prove that you're really you know, uh, abusing this privilege or this habit, but I do think that you've got to have some things in the back of your mind which substantiate your concern. Okay, and this is one of those things that you've mentioned before about um, it's it's a how you approach your partner, and I think you're right. If you come in with this big old laundry list of of issues, they're going to start feeling attacked and probably won't even absolutely. hear what you're yeah. saying. Right, absolutely. Now, when you're if you're in a relationship uh, where you both smoke, um, but one smokes more, uh, but the other person feels that it's becoming a problem with the other person. Do you, if you're both smoking, do you have a right to even bring that up? Oh, tough one. Well, you always have a right to bring up whatever you want to in your relationship. But that's going to be a tough call because, you know, it's very easy to turn around and say, you know, what right have you got to judge me or to make statements about, you know, what I'm doing? You're doing the exact same thing. And, you know, who's to say that I'm really in trouble, you know, because you only use it once a week and I use it three times a week? You know, why... 
why do you say you're in control and I'm not in control? So I think that you're going to have a much weaker case for making your point if you are um, involved in the activity as well. It's going to be much harder to, to make the point. Okay, that's great advice as always, Karen, and I think that is going to do it for us. Okay. So, thank you very much. And of course, everybody out there can get more information from Dr. Karen Sherman at choicerelationships.com and also at drkarensherman.com and of course at hitchedmag.com. Until next time. And uh, thanks again, Karen. Okay, Steve. Be well. Okay. Bye now. Hitched, entertains, educates, and inspires married couples.